Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on and Formula One is back this weekend with hostilities resuming at the Belgian Grand Prix. But how will the rule changes impacting the floor affect the competitive order and what should we expect from the revised Spa circuit in what could be its last Grand Prix for a while? I'm Ed Straw and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Mark Hughes and Ben Anderson. Well Mark, back to reality after your summer off, presumably a leisurely few weeks. Yeah, uh, Portuguese time and... um very much that sort of tempo as well. So um, yeah, back to uh, back to normal speed now. Excellent. Got the uh, the idea that Portugal just moves a lot slower. Is that the uh, is that the general feeling? Well, in that sort of heat, it's, it's only it's only right, isn't it? Um, things start a bit later and um, don't move quite as fast. We'll get our Portuguese listeners complaining. All the Pedro Lamy fans will be out in force to push back. <laughs> and Ben Anderson, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. I was in Canada recently, so I, that was my tactic for avoiding the UK heat wave. Yeah, that was a quite a good trick. How's the pace of life in Canada? Well, my, the pace of life on my holiday, probably quite similar to, to Mark's, slow. But I mean, with the, with kids in tow, you, you can't get the same kind of leisurely start. It's all early start and early finish. Well, early start and late finish, actually. Excellent. So back to work is actually the relaxation for you. That's uh, Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm serene now. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's what we need in a podcast. Nice, serene performance from you. Uh, let's delve straight into it. And Mark, one of the big talking points is going to be the rule changes the FI has introduced to prevent liberties being taken with the plank and skid flexibility. Of course, nobody's doing that, as they all do point out at, at great length. So <laughs> can you explain what's changing for Spa and the potential impact? So for Spa, which was originally for France but postponed, uh, the interpretation of the regs concerning the plank mounting has been tightened up. So when the FIF began to devise uh, this tech directive post-Baku, we remember Baku, the, the porpoising was extreme um, on several cars. Um, so they came up with this TD after that um, to limit the porpoising, and it found the, the FIA found it wasn't as simple as, as it had assumed. It was originally simply going to put a limit on the force of the vertical accelerations on the car, but it found, as it looked more deeply into it, that Red Bull and Ferrari were using a different interpretation of mounting the plank than the others. They'd been able to do it in a way which created space between the plank and the floor, which allowed the plank to effectively sink in towards the floor when they hit the ground, giving better resistance to bouncing, but also potentially allowing those cars to run a lower rear ride height by maybe five or six millimetres. 
which typically would be worth around two or three tenths of lap time. Um, so in order to make the playing field level for the lateral acceleration TD, the FIA decided all teams must adhere to the same interpretation of Planck flexibility um, and that used by everyone else and not the Red Bull Ferrari interpretation. So that's what comes into effect this weekend for the first time. Um, so if it really is two or three tenths, that's probably not going to be enough to change the competitive order by itself, but it should allow the others, probably led by Mercedes, to be that much closer. Um, I know Merck set the pole position last time out in Hungary, but it was um, circumstantial. Neither Red Bull was contesting it and Ferrari were miles out of the tyre window. So it, it, we saw, you know, in, in, on race day, effectively, it was um, still around half a second off the pace, which is a lot closer than it had been earlier in the season. But if this changes um, in the order of two or three tenths, then, you know, we it brings them that much closer and perhaps gives them a chance to get involved and put a little bit more pressure on. But I, I don't see it automatically um, making them on Ferrari Red Bull um, pace just, just from the reg- regulation change itself. It's often the way with these technical regulation changes or these technical directors mid-season that there's lots and lots to talk about them and then they do have a bit of an impact but they never fundamentally change it do they? they never make the slowest car quickest or anything or even uh, uh, transform things but do you have high hopes Ben for it being a little bit closer up front yeah you'd like to think so I mean it's likely obviously to affect both of those teams but at the same time you know they've they've had some sight of this so you would imagine that Ferrari and Red Bull would make some adjustments to try and recapture a bit of the lap time. It's not that they're going to automatically just fall back into the clutches of everybody else. And then also, you know, Mercedes, as Mark mentioned, competitive in Hungary, but a lot of that was circumstantial. And although the car's improving, now we go to Spa, which has very particular setup compromises. They've got a very draggy car as well, Mercedes. So I don't think it's automatically going to suddenly be this dream, like three-way fight at the front that everybody wants. Um, but Sure, it's going to help Mercedes a little bit. They've they've got bigger problems than this, I think. One of the things, Mark, that has been a talking point in the past few races as well has been the 23 changes. Those have been ratified now. We've got a a 15 millimetre raising of the floor edges rather than the proposed 25 millimetres. Do you think everybody's just going to keep quiet about that now and and get on with it? Or do you think there'll still be a little bit of toing and froing in in the paddock as everyone plays the political game? I think most of those trading's probably done now. I think um, most of the campaigning was being done just before the summer break when the change was going to be in the order of 25 millimetres. And I think the, the, the change to 15 that you've just mentioned is a result of that um, campaigning. And it'll just, the idea is that it's just to um, make the aerodynamics a bit less peaky, um, a bit more benign. Um, you wouldn't imagine going to fundamentally affect the whole concept of a, a team's new car, which is sort of what uh, what was being hinted at pre the summer break. Yeah, there was lots of complaints about costs and dramatically different chassis design and all sorts. But as always, these things are a little bit uh, overblown when it comes to playing the political game, but probably a, a sensible direction for, for everyone to go in. But Ben... Spa, it's the start of a run of nine races at the back end of this season. It was very front-loaded with 13 races already done. Max Verstappen has an 80-point lead over Charles Leclerc in the Drivers' Championship and Red Bull's 97 points clear in the Constructors' Championship. So it's fair to say it's going to take something extraordinary for them not to win the title. So if there's no championship fight, 
what's really at stake other than just a bunch of race wins? <laughs> well, uh, well, the championship is still at stake theoretically, but I mean, yeah, as you say, it's a, it almost seems like a foregone conclusion now, especially the way Red Bull and Max in particular are operating. You know, they've they've gotten stronger as the season's progressed. Uh, Ferrari are just shambolic. I mean, you know, you guys and we have talked about this kind of endlessly pre-summer break that they just seem to be able to find new ways to throw away their pace advantage, lose races from winning positions. So really what's at stake uh, beyond the confirmation of the championships, if you like, um, is can Ferrari transform themselves into a proper winning operation that looks like it might have a proper chance next year? Maybe if some of the pressure of actually being in the hunt is removed, they might be able to react better focus on these problems and find solutions before next year gets going. Um, I'd like to see them execute races more consistently and at least put up a fight and make Red Bull work as hard as possible for it. And then also there's the Mercedes factor. You know, how much more can they improve? How much longer are they going to stick with this zero pod concept and keep developing that in leading up to next year's car? Um, can they close the gap and and start to challenge for for race wins genuinely. Uh, obviously, we talked about the new metrics and whether that will make a difference. You know that that is something that remains to be seen. Um, and also, there's the small small matter of best of the rest in the constructors' championship: McLaren versus Alpine. That's a very tight fight. Who's going to get the edge in that? It looks like Alpine have the better race car. McLaren have the faster qualifier in. Lando Norris and an underperforming second car. So yeah, in that in that tight contest, who's going to get the best over the final nine races and and secure fourth? That's the grudge match with the battle over Oscar Piastri services as well. So that'll be a a lively battle. But Mark, in terms of Ferrari, we've talked so much on this podcast this year about Ferrari not delivering on their ultimate potential. Is there reason to expect much of a, a shift in that? Do you think that despite Mattia Bonotto's best protestations, they are probably working quite hard to try and tighten up on this kind of thing, make sure the strategy calls are correct and ensure that the reliability is tightened up? You would hope that at least internally that the recognition of the problems are there. And even though it's quite understandable that he doesn't want to publicly um, start laying out the reasons for it. Um The pity of it is that they've ticked off two of the really intractable hard problems, just the raw speed and the 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 working environment, which which was always previously you know an environment of fear. Um, So he's got a really nice working environment there. He's got the technical department working beautifully in terms of producing a very very fast car with a lot of its own innovations. But now they need to address the address the reliability and the that line of recognition and response to those underlying problems that you talked about, just strategy calls, etc. So yeah, I think there's still there's still a lot to be done, and I don't think it's the work of a. I think we've said before it's not the the work of just a, a rethink over the summer break, but it's a it's a culture thing, um, and you would hope that it's happening internally, um, but it is. The two really difficult bits have been done, and that's that's what makes it extra frustrating. Yeah, they've very much gone their own way with the car concept. Everybody, when the car launched, thought that looks a little bit odd. How's that going to work? And it's worked really, really, really well. They have had the quickest car on average over the season, particularly strong in qualifying race day, sometimes a bit harder, but should have won a lot more races. But on the driver front, 
Ben. How do you see the Leclerc Sainz situation? Because Sainz started not badly as such, but he was struggling with the car. There were a couple of bad weekends at Imola in Australia and he fell well behind, but then he's picked up some momentum and Leclerc has had a couple of high-profile errors, but generally has been the, the lead driver. Do you think that's a subplot for the rest of the season to keep an eye on or do you think it'll be kind of what we've seen where it's mainly going Leclerc's way? No, potentially it is. I mean, there's there was a pattern last season where, you know, science got stronger as the season progressed and I think like the final part of the season didn't he out qualify the clerk five races out of six or something like that it was certainly more often than not uh, so I think that's why he was so surprised taken aback at the start of this year to be as off as he felt he was um, but he, you know he's done what science does which is dig deep put the hours in on the sim work on himself work on his driving start to kind of modify his technique you know, he's a very adaptable driver um, and he's starting to bear fruit for him now. Um, you'd like to think that process can continue. And it's important for Ferrari that it does. Um, and it's a testament to science's application that he's been able to make these gains because obviously the cars have been developing. And we've seen with Sergio Perez, who started the season strongly, how he's, he's slipped back as Rebel have made progress with their own car. And the other factor, of course, is that the clerk himself, you know, can he rebound from the recent disappointments? Will he still be all there mentally for the final push, you know, chasing those race wins? You'd imagine he would be, but you know, if he's distracted by Ferrari's shambling around on strategy and a bit discontented with the way everything is going, which it, it has looked to be the case a little bit in some of his you know, immediate reactions, there's been a, a concerted effort by Ferrari to keep a lid on things publicly. Um, and as Mark says, you hope behind the scenes they're actually acknowledging these problems and doing thing, doing something about them. You can't be sure of that. But the clerk needs to keep his head in the game. He needs to stay focused. And if he isn't or doesn't, then you could see Sainz, you know, taking the fight to him there and and assuming more of a leadership role. How impressed have you been with Sainz's fight back, Mark? Because we know how hardworking a driver is, how he is able to get on top of a car, but the circumstances of the first part of the season were really bad, weren't they? First chance in a championship winning car when he was pretty much out of championship contention within a few races. So is it pretty much what you expected from him or do you think he's he's shown an even greater level of his normal fortitude to have bounced back from that? I think as Ben said, that's what what he does. He's um, he, he's very analytical of, of himself and... He's very analytical about the car and therefore good at explaining what it is he needs. Um, but I think this is the first time he's come up against a teammate of this caliber at the absolute top of his game. And you know, I think Lando Norris is a fantastic driver and um, potentially on that similar sort of level. But when he was um, when 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 he was science's teammate. He was a you know rookie in a first, second, third season, but this this is this is a an absolute one of the great drivers at his peak in a car that's perfectly suited to him um, that he's going up against that he's being measured against, and I think it's just a a tough ask. And this this year's car, I think, um, particularly well suited to someone. Um, 
as at ease with uh, push, pushing the, the envelope with a, an oversteery car as uh, Leclerc is. And it's, uh, it's just, you know, made a, a gap appear that uh, the start of the season that, that wasn't there last year. And we can be absolutely sure going into the second half of the season that Sainz will be determined to try and build on that significantly to set himself up for next year. He's not the kind of character who will ease off in any way, so he'll want to have as convincing an end to the season so he can go into next year something approaching an even footing with a clerk. I think he's always seen in that team as being, by a narrow margin, the the, the second driver just because of that incredible speed a clerk's got. But Sainz is going to do everything he can to reverse that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Ben, there have been some changes made at Spa, notably to the Eau Rouge Radion section. How much difference do you think that'll actually make? Uh, I'm not sure it'll make a massive difference. Um, uh, Pirelli's Mario Sola was talking about it being a very dramatic change from the, the tyre supplier's point of view. Obviously, there's been some resurfacing around the circuit, so that's the kind of thing that's going to get his juices flowing uh, and make some kind of difference. Um, but obviously, the changes are mostly in runoffs, an effort to improve safety. There's obviously been some you know, fairly nasty accidents in recent years through that section, which is obviously blind as you come over the hill very fast. And it is quite dangerous if cars rebound off the barriers back into the path of other cars at those speeds. Um, so hopefully these changes have addressed that. Sight lines will be slightly different. There's gravel down in new places and some some different routes that have been put down, particularly at uh, the no-named left-hander. Um, that looks a bit different now. So um that will look odd, I think, to drivers when they hit the track for the first time, but it's not something that they'll, you know, be unduly bothered about and they will quickly adapt, I'm sure. Um, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference to how the cars perform. Oru's Radion looks just about as fast as before. Maybe it's slightly slow for GT cars, which makes a lot of sense, but I think cars at Formula One level with their grip, you know, it's not going to make any difference really to them. I think the the biggest impact of the changes is likely to be felt off track actually you know a lot of this is about kind of modernizing spa as an f1 venue um you know fitting with liberty's drive to americanize formula one and put the fan experience more at the heart of things difficult for spa because you know the topography there is limiting the roads in a limiting it's a very old school you know, camping style race. Um, how much can you transform that into a Zandvoort beach music party festival? I don't know. Um, but they've certainly made a big investment. Um, and you'd like to think, you know, especially given how we all feel about Spa and the drivers as well, it's such a great circuit, um, such a brilliant challenge still. Um, it would be terrible if it dropped off the calendar. So you'd like to think that, you know, the changes they make and Liberty likes what it sees from the event this weekend and there's a there's a future there. I think it would be a real shame if, if if there wasn't. And of course, it looks like it's going to go to every other year 
potentially not on next year's calendar, but might be back the year after. But Mark, the main thing we have to hope is that we get a race there this year after <laughs> after what happened last year. There is meant to be a little bit of rain forecast, but it doesn't look like it's going to be quite the uh, the weather we encountered in 2021. So hopeful that Spa can regain some of that luster after last year's, frankly, embarrassing Farago. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really Spa's fault at uh, what happened last year, um, although it's um, obviously always going to be uh, susceptible to something like that, such are the extremes of weather that you can get in that little microclimate. Um, but um, a really magnificent circuit, and um, I think even with these changes, it'll It'll still be an extreme challenge, um, maybe even more so actually. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it seems ridiculous that we should be talking about whether it has a future in Formula One or not. Yeah, it's really a track that should be a mainstay on the calendar, as I understand it. Spa's keen to have a Grand Prix every year, and it's the one thing with the expansion. The expansion of F one is good, and I've never been one to say that F one should only be in the places where it's been massively popular for. 50 60 70 years or that got onto the grand prix racing uh train in the like the 1920s or something but at the same time you do need to make sure you you keep that core as well and, and spa you'd have to say ben is it's one of those two or three tracks that really is f1 isn't it yeah absolutely silverstone's in there suzuka's in there spa is like absolutely one of the cathedrals of speed to use an an oft repeated phrase um but also you've got the Verstappen factor. You know, he's he's Dutch, but he's got Belgian heritage too. There's a lot more interest in Formula One based around his success and his rise, and Spa should be able to capitalise on that. So it also seems strange to me from a commercial point of view that Formula One would doubt Spa's place because in theory you've got the perfect mix. You've You've got, as I said before, a kind of, slightly old school offering in terms of the fan experience but that's good because you need a a mix you can't have you know only celebrity focused paddock club type miami races you need and vegas races you need these kind of festival type camping races as well you've got a great circuit okay the climate can let you down as it did last year spectacularly but it can also be fantastic uh you've got a great circuit you know, one of the few places where you can see Formula One cars working at their absolute best and their absolute limit. And then you've got a home driver at the absolute top of his game as a reigning world champion to support um, if you're a local fan from there or nearby country. So I don't see what there is not to like, really. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You've made a good case for it there. And we're, we're also pretty close to the centenary for Spa was a Grand Prix venue, I think 1925 was its first Belgian Grand Prix. So all the more reason for it to stay on the calendar, although that could be a little bit of a battle for next year. Mark, we've talked a little bit about some of the uh, the, the factors that will contribute towards what we might see at the front this weekend. But heading into the Spa weekend, how do you think that Ferrari-Red Bull battle will pan out in terms of the, the pace balance of power? Very, very close. I mean, it's always close. Um, it's always been close in pretty much every race. but very balanced in its demands um, between those two cars. It's got, Spa's got a couple of sections favouring Red Bull's aero efficiency and a big middle sector favouring Ferrari's downforce. That's you know just given the way that they normally set the cars up. The, 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 the car's sweet spot for the Red Bull tends to be with a bit less downforce on it, um, but better aero efficiency, and the Ferrari's sweet spot tends to be with a bit more wing on it. 
Um, and so that combination, you got sectors one and three add up to about the same time that you've spent in sector two. So it, it, it's very, very well balanced in theory. But I think um, probably a bigger factor than that will turn out to be, as it has often been this year, understanding the tyres, which Ferrari didn't get right last time out in Hungary. Um, I think that's probably going to be the most important thing, especially with the cooler temperatures which are being forecast, which can make things um, a little bit tricky, and um, especially with such a long lap. Yeah, and also the the temperature could be quite fluctuating, couldn't it? Given that although it can be very wet and cold there, it can also be quite hot still at, at this time of year. So you never know quite what you're shooting for when it comes to to Spa. But, but an interesting one as well, Ben, because it's got that ideal overtaking element to it, doesn't it? With the the run from the hairpin up to Lacom, so it's one where you've got to have race pace as well as qualifying pace. So Ferrari, I guess, will be hoping that they've they've got that better balance, that they have achieved more as the season's gone on in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be absolutely crucial. Um, and I don't really have a lot of faith in them at the moment. You know, Heading into this race, I feel like even if they do a reasonable job with the tyres and uh, end up you know, nicking pole again, which is very possible, I feel like you know, the Red Bull's just going to zap past in the race at some point inevitably. You know, we've seen in the past you know, Lewis Hamilton doing some clever trickery on the throttle at the bottom of Eau Rouge to hold Sebastian Vettel behind and, and play with the, the gap so that the toe, isn't, toe effect isn't so great when you get onto the, to the straight afterwards. But I just feel like the way Red Bull are operating at the moment how quick that car is in race trim and how good Verstappen is, even if he doesn't get pole, which he might do because he's a monster at Spa as well. He He's just going to find a way by in the race. I suppose the only hope is maybe that, you know, as you mentioned, because the temperatures fluctuate and it might be quite cold, maybe that puts Red Bull out of the ideal window on the tyres. And you know, we saw in Austria how you know they can run into to problems, particularly on the front, if things aren't quite right. But I think they're... As things stand, they are more likely to come away with a victory than Ferrari are. Yeah, and how about Mercedes, Mark? Obviously, there's the big imponderable of the full impact of those changes that are being made in terms of the uh, the, the skids and the, and the plank, but there has been this steady improvement for Mercedes. They're certainly looking pretty convincing now, and it, it feels like it's just a case of they need to just brute force development and and develop quicker than those ahead if they want to get into that mix so that's a I guess a test of how well they're going to work at a a track like this that as you said is quite a nice little compromise between the first and third sectors and the more downforce dependent middle sector yeah it's going to be interesting to see how they approach their weekend because it's in that it's it's natural um form is that it's 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 going to be hurt in those uh Straight line sectors one and three, one and three, um, but they, you know, how extreme do they dare go with um, low wing? Um, is there a way to sort of slot in and do a, an ideal little window? Um, how does that dovetail in with the requirements of the tires? Which depends, you know, very very much upon the weather. Um, so. It, Every, they they're not in charge of their own destiny, but it's not impossible that they find a little sweet spot with it. Yeah, that's what they'll be working towards, and interesting as well to see how the battle between Russell and Hamilton goes there, because we've seen 
Hamilton's probably in the ascendancy recently, isn't he, Mark? He's in strongest. Yes, Russell got that pole in Hungary, but Hamilton did look quicker up until that DRS problem in, in qualifying. So there's quite a little interesting subplot there between those two drivers that's very much spun around from where it was in the early stages of the season and people were just deciding that Hamilton almost wasn't interested because things uh, things weren't going so well. We we kind of shot down that notion earlier this year, but it has certainly changed as the season has got more together for Mercedes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's incredibly close between them. The average... Over the um, over the, well, we can do like nine races where we can do a proper comparison, and um, it, it's two hundredths of a second difference, which is by far the closest matchup of any any team um, any teammate comparison. Um, so it's it, it's like just one good weekend for one or the other of them will change the order. It's that close. Um, so yeah, um, as the car improves and it does look to be on a good good uh, improvement curve now. Um, yeah, it'll be especially interesting to see who who can uh, get the most from the, the the improvement in the car, and whether it, whether there will even be a pattern, or whether it'll continue just swinging backwards and forwards between them. I think uh, Russell probably fancies chances at Spa, maybe as well. You know, he produced one of the qualifying laps of all time mm. in the wet in that Williams. Um, so, I think he'll be he'll be confident um, heading into the weekend. Um, especially off the back of that qualifying performance in Hungary as well. So that is a really interesting subplot to me, actually, um, considering how close it is across the breadth of the season, but also because we're in a, a little run of circuits where not, not obviously Hamilton is good pretty much everywhere he goes, you know, maybe save Austria, um, but that Russell also has shown particularly outstanding form in the past and now he's got a much better car at his disposal to kind of underline you know, the talent that he's got. And that's another one of those little subplots that's very much feeding into next season, isn't it? I know with the championship being the status it is, you have to look at the second half of the season as partly being the the preamble to next year as well. So those things will have an impact of how people are going into the winter and what footing they start next season on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. 
Well, Ben, Haas recently announced Antonio Giovinazzi. Remember him? We'll drive an <laughs> FP1 at Monza and Cota. That's in addition to those mandatory two FP1 sessions that a rookie driver must run. Do you think that means he's a contender for a Haas seat in 2023? And what does that say about Mick Schumacher? Oh, he has to be, doesn't he? I mean, why else would you do it when you've got these, these young driver rules to meet and you're not meeting by putting him in the car? I think it's been known for some time that kind of Mick Schumacher-Haas relationship isn't perhaps the most convivial or cordial. Um, some tensions behind the scenes there. Um, you know, Mick was linked immediately with uh, Sebastian Vettel's Aston Martin seat when he announced his shot retirement ahead of that race before Alonso steamed in and, and took, and took a long con- long-term contract up with that team. So if, that would suggest that Mick is looking for a way out and it would also suggest with Giovinazzi jumping into the car that has a exploring their options. He's a kind of sensible guy to evaluate, I suppose, in the sense that they know him from the past. He's got experience. There aren't many plug-in-and-play options should you decide to mix up your driver lineup for next year at this stage because so many guys are under contract, although obviously that's not stopping McLaren. Um, and that is you know, probably... The best option, if I was Haas, I'd be tracking down Daniel Ricciardo's number and giving him a call and trying to get him in over Giovinazzi, to be perfectly frank. But if that's not possible, then you know he's he's probably one of the the safest choices. So there's no harm in putting him in the car, seeing how he gets on now, and obviously it helps Ferrari because it's actual seat time for a guy who's sitting on the sidelines and hasn't driven a proper Formula One car for a while. Yeah, well, the official reason they've given is that Ferrari want Giovinazzi to get some seat time in a 22 car because he is the reserve for Ferrari and Haas, in fact, when he hasn't been off wasting his time in a rather uncompetitive dragon ride in, in Formula E. What do you think, Mark? If you were Haas, would you be thinking, yeah, Giovinazzi's a, a better option than Schumacher? I'd certainly be evaluating it, yes, because Mick hasn't made the case for himself. There's been flashes and um, he's certainly been more impressive in the latter few races than he was in the early season but yeah if um if the relationship's not working uh, I'd, I'd i'd be looking I'd, I'd definitely be looking at antonio i think he'd be quite a good um match up with um kevin with kevin magnuson and he's already you know very you know well integrated with the team he knows the team uh yeah i think he's a, he's an obvious candidate if if you're not going to continue with Mick and Mick hasn't made the case for himself um, to be retained. Yeah, Giovinazzi has driven for Haas in Friday practice in 2017. He had a number of appearances in the second half of the year. He's an interesting driver, Giovinazzi. He is quick. There's a great story behind him because he's someone who didn't have a great deal of backing, certainly no real family backing financially for getting up the absurdly expensive junior rank. So he made it to F1 on, on ability. He's been a little bit frustrating in F1 because he's quick, but a little bit erratic and doesn't always string it together. So I'm almost in two minds with with Giovinazzi about whether is he just going to be the driver that's going to be a bit up and down and it'll be more of the same or in a different environment to a slightly erratic Sauber team. Could he actually really start stringing things together? I think that's the the crux of it. I mean, he is maybe slightly let down by Kimi Raikkonen in the sense that, you know, I think Giovinazzi got a bit comfortable being paired alongside Kimi and felt like, 
he was doing a good job compared to him and that that was enough to prove that he was you know worthy of keeping around but obviously the Kimi Räikkönen that he was up against was a pale imitation maybe of the Kimi Räikkönen that went just before which was also a pale imitation of the Kimi Räikkönen that was the best version of himself in Formula One so I think probably Giovinazzi hasn't quite been pushed hard enough now he's found himself turfed out I think you know as Mark says, if he goes up against Kevin, who is rejuvenated since coming back to Formula One after being forced out for a time, you know, maybe that could have the same effect on on Giovinazzi. And actually we might see him realise a bit more of his potential if he's up against another kind of youngish, hard charging driver rather than somebody who's way past his best and just kind of cashing in at the end of his career. Yeah, and also uh, for Giovinazzi, I guess he's had a year outside of Formula 1, hasn't he, with a rather difficult year in Formula 1. He didn't manage to score a point in rather limited uh, machinery, it's fair to say. So sometimes drivers come back after a year out with a, a different perspective and they've been able to think a little bit about their approach, etc., etc. But a, an interesting sort of situation. There's a few little driver market elements to be resolved. Obviously, the big thing is what's going on with Piastri and McLaren and Alpine, which we are expecting there to be some movement on imminently but at the time of recording nothing quite has happened so it's all about who would get that Alpine seat assuming Piastri's not going to be there and it does seem like he definitely won't be there given he's very much in with in with McLaren but that means Alpine has a decision to make Daniel Ricciardo seems to be the obvious choice but then if they don't have Ricciardo or Ricciardo doesn't want to go there we don't really know exactly where his thinking is at the moment I hope he goes there but if not, then they need to look at some of these uh, these other uh, possibilities. But you'd have to say, though, Mark, coming back to Mick Schumacher, it is an odd situation for him because when things have come together, he has been strong. He was good in Austria, for example, qualified well and ran well early on in Canada before uh, the reliability problems kicked in. So when things come together, it's there. But it's been up and down, but it's been more down than up so far this year, hasn't it? Yeah, he was good at Silverstone too and getting those first points. but. Just when he's made a breakthrough, you ex- you expect that. Think right, okay, let's see if he can continue this run. Now it just it's suddenly seen fall away again, and it's, there's not that evidence of inevitable progress that really we'd be looking to see for a driver in his second season. Um, yeah, there's something not quite clicking there. Yeah, and he'll be another driver to watch in the second half of that season for exactly that reason. And if the relationship with the team isn't isn't great, and of course we should remember he was trying to see if there was a way out even for for this year, which is no surprise given how much Haas was struggling last year, but he was possibly looking at whether he could get into Alfa Romeo instead. So maybe some of it goes back to that, but he's certainly been expensive. But he is a driver who will have the upgrade package this weekend. He didn't have it in Hungary, just Kevin Magnussen had it has said that the package worked well. Hungary wasn't a great track for them overall. Not especially optimistic about Spa or Monza because the car is a bit draggy, unfortunately, but they should have a package that can fight for points in the second half of the season. Well, thanks so much, Ben and Mark, for this quick look ahead to the resumption of the F1 season at Spa. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen for all the coverage you need from the second half of the F1 season. And make sure you check out our YouTube channel and our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s. And also check out our live hub during the weekend. You can follow the action over the Belgian Grand Prix weekend. You can also fire in questions to us at the race. So if you want to ask 
myself or Mark or Ben or Gary Anderson or whoever happens to be around a question or two, we will endeavour to answer them. So we are off to Spa now, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.